Let us pray. And we see eternal and everlasting for we are thankful this evening for the privilege that you've afforded us to gather together to study a portion of your word. We realize that we are unable to understand these things apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will open our minds, give us the concentration that we need to hear precisely all that you want us to hear this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 through 36. We are going to read for tonight uh, verses 29 and 30. Exodus chapter 16, verses 29 and 30. It reads, Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now we continue to refresh your mind that the primary message of this major section of Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 7, is be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders, since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. Now, our last study was on verses 27 and 28, from which we derive the lesson, which is, disobedience to God's word will never yield the result desired by one who disobeys. So we spend time to show how people want something, but in process of doing that, they sin against God. They want happiness, but they go about doing things that are contrary to God's will, and therefore we never find the happiness. Now this lesson, though, carries uh, forward to the rest of what Moses wrote in this 16th chapter of Exodus, because for there, for there to be disobedience of any kind, there must be instruction that is disobeyed. Therefore, Moses continued with elaboration of the instruction of the Lord to Israel in verses 29 to 30, that is our focus this evening. Now, verses 29 and 30 are concerned with instructions and observance of the Sabbath. The law had charged Israel of disobedience to his command and instructions in verse 28. So it is possible that some of the Israelites might protest again regarding how they are disobedient to his instruction and his command to them. They might be disputing that, so to say. So to ensure that no one thinks that the charge of the Lord against Israel is baseless, he, made, he continued to convey through Moses how that is the case. Now this, the Lord did with a command that is intended to catch the people's attention as given in the NIV of Exodus 16 verse 29 when he said, bear in mind, bear in mind. Or literally the Hebrew simply says, see. That's what the Hebrew says. Now this is because verse 29 begins with a Hebrew word that generally denotes the physical sense of perception with the eye, so that it means to see, but it conveys other meanings. So the word may mean to see after or to learn about. As the word is used to describe uh, Joseph's mission, when his father sent him, which was one of the beginning part of why his brother started hitting him to go up and look up what they were doing and, came and come back with a report. This is how our word is used in Genesis 37 
verse 14. Genesis chapter 37, verse 14. Genesis chapter 37, verse 14. It is, So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron, when Joseph arrived at Shechem. Now here, the is translated to see by the issues go learn about them. Go learn about them. Or go see after them. Now the word may mean to perceive as it is used to describe God's action when he appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verse 4. Exodus Chapter 3, verse 4. It reads, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here, I am. Now that clause, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, may be understood to mean that God perceived Moses' curiosity with respect to the burning bush. Now the uh, Hebrew word may mean to recognize, to recognize, as it was used when Gideon became aware that the one that appeared to him was actually the angel of the Lord, as we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse, I mean, Judges chapter 6, verse 22. Judges chapter 6, verse 22. Judges chapter 6, verse 22. That's where our Hebrew word. Ra'ah is, has a sense of to recognize, to recognize. It reads, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, of course, the angel of the Lord, when we studied uh, the book of Genesis, we did go through to show that that angel of the Lord is really the Lord Jesus Christ prior to his incarnation. Uh, we in the, uh, demonstrated that in several passages, but this is why he can say here, Ah, sovereign Lord, because he realized he has seen the angel of the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, Appearing in human form prior to his incarnation. Now the Hebrew word may mean to consider, although uh, as instruction is used of Prophet Samuel to Israel in his farewell address to them, to remind them to think of God's goodness to them, as we read in First Samuel chapter twelve, verse. 24. For Samuel, chapter 12, verse 24. For Samuel, chapter 12, verse 24 reads, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider, that's a Hebrew word here, consider what great things he has done for you. 
Now, the one of the meanings of this word that, uh, to me, is one that every believer need to really pay attention to, is really to experience. In other words, although it is translated to see, but the meaning is to experience, to experience. So here it is used in that sense in Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. He says, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, obviously, the invitation to see that the Lord is good is not one that requires the organ of sight, as it is to experience something about the Lord that will confirm that he is good. Again, I, many, I keep reminding you, one of the things that I do emphasize from this pulpit is this. You have to have the experience with the Lord. Because that's the only thing that will really anchor you in certain situation. Now, unless you experience him, then it comes down to become an academic thing. You can learn all you want about the Bible, but unless you come and experience the Lord, I know that for, for sure He's real. He is very personal and real to you. Then you may your faith may shake in certain things, but once you experience Him, you don't need convincing about things. The state of Christianity today, or the state where we are, as Christians today, comes down to this. Most of us do not experience the Lord. We go through the motion of being Christians, so to say, go to church or whatever and come home. But we don't experience Him. And that's what the psalm is saying, experience Him. Taste and see. It is taste and experience and realize that He is good. In other words, take His promises. Apply them to whatever the situation calls for that promise. Stand back and watch God do his thing. When you see that, your faith becomes solidified. So you know for sure that no, you're just not going through emotion. You're dealing with the God of the universe who is real and who is faithful. Anyway, the thing the Lord did on behalf of the Israelites here, that in the passage we're starting of Exodus 16, uh, I mean, chapter 16, verse 29 uh, and 30. The thing he did on behalf of them, though, is given in verse 29 of chapter 16 that we started. Exodus 16, verse 29. He says, That the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's what it is that they need to see and perceive that God has done for them. Because although we uh, have the word to see in our English versions, but uh, the sense of it in this particular passage is to understand or even to remember something. So that is why the thing that Israel is to understand or remember is just what we have here, that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Now this clause provides the basis for something else that the Lord did on behalf of Israel, so to say. Now the reason for this assertion really is that word that that begins the clause. It is translated from a Hebrew particle that has several usages. For example, it may be used as a marker of emphasis and strengthening of a statement 
in which case the uh, Hebrew particle may be translated indeed. Indeed. It may be used as a marker of content of discourse, with the meaning that, of course. Uh, Sometimes, though, it may not be translated, as is done in some of our English versions, in that we, uh, the verse that we consider being translated. And nonetheless, in our clause, it is really used as a marker of causation between two events. Hence, may be translated because or simply for, or even for the reason of. Thus, the Hebrew particle used in a, a clause tells us that the clause is one that provides reason for the action of the Lord stated later in the verse we're studying. Now, Israel is to understand or to remember that the Lord had given them the Sabbath, as in that sentence, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Now, an alternative translation that is more literal, and this is some of those things that you have to pay close attention. Otherwise, you probably won't even notice the difference, except for the word Yahweh I'm going to use here. An alternative translation is something like this. Because Yahweh has given to you the Sabbath. Now, even if I read without using the word Yahweh, it is because the Lord, which uh, has given you the Sabbath, given to you the Sabbath. Now, you probably wonder the reason for uh, giving this alternative translation, since the difference between it and that of the translation that you have in the NIV is really a simple proposition too. Because read the NIV says giving you the Sabbath. My translation is a giving to you the Sabbath. So the difference is that word too. Now the, it is because the preposition conveys an important truth that is or that is probably missed by Translating the Hebrew uh, preposition the way most of, many of our English versions did by ignoring it. Now, the literal translation translates really a Hebrew preposition that has several usages. For example, the Hebrew word may be used with the meaning on behalf of. That is a marker of, or we can say, a marker of a person benef- who benefits by an event on behalf of, as in case the word was used by Jonathan to indicate to his armor bearer that maybe the Lord might act to benefit them, as we read in for Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. This has to do with the battle Israel is waging against the Philistines. For Samuel, chapter 14, verse 6. It reads, Jonathan said, to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from serving, whether by many or by few. So here, the Lord is said, the Lord is going to act on their behalf. So that's our Hebrew word is translated on behalf here. Now the word may be used to express uh, possession. Uh, so means something like belonging to, as it is used in the question of Boaz, to ascertain to whom Ruth belongs, as we read in Ruth chapter 2 verse 5.
Ruth chapter 2 verse 5. Ruth chapter 2 verse 5. Ruth chapter 2 verse 5 reads, Boaz acts the form man of his harvesters. Whose young woman is that? Now that question, whose young woman is that, is one that is intended to ascertain to whom Ruth belongs. Does the New English translation render the question this way? To whom does this young woman belong? So the Hebrew preposition that we are considering may then be used to convey the sense of benefit or advantage or disadvantage. Now to convey the sense of benefit, the Hebrew preposition may be translated to, to, conveying the sense of advantage as it is used to describe Isaac as a son born to Abraham in his old age, according to uh, Genesis chapter 24, verse 36. Genesis chapter 24, verse 36. Genesis 24 verse 36 reads, My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. See, the sentence of the NRV when it says, My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in old age, is more literally, and Sarah... The wife of my master has born a son to my master after her, her old age. That is to say, it is to the advantage of Abraham in one way because God had made a promise of him having a son and that son has to come through Sarah. Now it is to the advantage then of Abraham or to his benefit that Sarah then had given birth to a son. Now the sense of benefit may be conveyed using the word for, as it is used to indicate atonement for a land cannot be made for murder except by the death of the murderer. Now, I know it's something hard for people to understand. And accept, but the reality is whether people accept it or whether they don't, it doesn't change the fact of what God has said. That is to say, if somebody commits murder, now that's a difference between murder and manslaughter. But if a person commits murder, there is no such thing as life imprisonment. The person must die. That means he must give his own life. And that is in that way atoned for the murder. Otherwise, God says the land where that happens is a fire and part of it is it will continue to be a violent place. This is the way the word is used in terms of four in Numbers 35 verse 33. Numbers 35 verse 33. It is 
Do not pollute the land where you are. That's what's given to Israel. And it's, this, this is a, a principle of truth that applies to no matter where. Say, so do not pollute the land where you are. Look at what he said. Bloodshed pollutes the land. And atonement cannot be made for the land on which the blood has been shed except by the blood of the one who shed it. So that's why I make the point. If somebody commits murder, not manslaughter, murder. Because manslaughter has all things. It's not in the person may not have been intended to kill another person. But it, it happens. That's different from murder. But once there is murder, the Bible says there's no other way out except for the person who uh, murdered to give his own life. That's the way you turn for it. Otherwise, you pollute the land and violence will continue. Now in our passage though, of Exodus 16 verse 29, the Hebrew preposition that we're looking at, it is in the sense of benefit of, that it is used. Now no doubt that the Sabbath is devoted to the Lord, or the Sabbath belongs to Him, so that the preposition that we are considering is used in connection with the Lord, as we stated previously in our study of Exodus 16, verse 25. But in our present verse, the preposition is attached to the pronoun you, that refers to Israel. So the implication is that it is the benefit of the Sabbath to Israel that is in focus. The benefit of the Sabbath. Therefore, if we do not translate the Hebrew preposition with the word to or for, it will be difficult to see the point that we are making. It is for their benefit that God gave them the Sabbath. Now, it's one of those things that we uh, generally have to recognize. Everything God has said, in terms of this is what you should do, everything is for our benefit. In other words, if we do what God says do, we'll be blessed by it. The problem is we ignore it, and we're cursed by it. But if we do everything he says do, then we're blessed by it. So it is for the benefit of Israel that we have this Sabbath. In effect then, without uh, translating that proposition, we will lose sight then of the grace of God that is displayed towards Israel in giving them the Sabbath as a day of rest. That's it. In the laws, when people think about it, they think about laws that God has given us if it's something bad for them. No, really, it's God's display of His grace. In, our, in, in that He's trying to keep us from something that will harm us. So that if you obey it, we will not be harmed. So really, anyway, I'm saying that the reason we have made then an issue of the Hebrew proposition that was not translated in the NIV is that failure to do so hides the grace of God shown to Israel in providing them a day of rest and the Sabbath. It is God's grace at work. Keep, give them this one day to raise their body and so forth. So it is a part of His grace. Now it is not only the preposition that we consider that indicates God's grace or goodness to Israel as it pertains to the Sabbath. Now the word given in the sentence where we're studying Exodus sixteen twenty nine, we say, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Now that word given conveys the same concept of God's grace or goodness. See, this is because the word given is translated from a Hebrew uh, verb that, uh, with a range of meanings. For example, the word may mean to permit or to deliver, 
But in our passage, he has the sense of to give. That is, to transfer possession of something concrete or abstract to somebody else. The Sabbath belongs to the Lord. But there is a sense that he has graciously transferred the concept or the whole idea of Sabbath to the Israelites as part of his blessing to them. Thus then the Sabbath is a gift from God to the Israelites to benefit them. It is for their own benefit that he says, okay, work as hard as you can. Six days. Then this seventh day, bless your body. It's a gift. Now the Lord's goodness to Israel as reflected in the giving uh, to them the Sabbath as a day of rest is further explained or elaborated so that Israel will understand its benefits to them. Thus the Lord, having given what Israel is to remember or understand, which is that the Sabbath has been given to them for their benefit, proceeding with explanation of the Lord's further activity regarding the sixth day. The sixth day. Now this explanation the Lord provided to Israel through Moses is certainly because of what they should remember regarding the Sabbath. And it's, it's introduced in the expression of Exodus 16.29 that was told. Look at what he said. That is why. That's the expression. That is why. Now the expression of the NIV that is why is translated from a compound Hebrew expression that may be translated for that reason or sometimes simply therefore. It is used to in- indicate that what follows is the cause of what preceded. In effect, the explanation that follows is because the Sabbath was given to Israel for their benefit. That's the reason it's given. Furthermore, the explanation is also the Lord's continued goodness to Israel in providing them the explanation that we'll get to shortly. It's still part of his goodness. Now re- recall though that some of the Israelites ignored the Lord's instruction through Moses or they did not believe what he told them as coming from the Lord. So they went out to attempt to gather the strange substance. What happened on that day is, to their dismay, there was none. They went out, all right, but to their dismay, there was nothing. So, if the Lord provides explanation to Israel about what happened on the seventh day, so that the substance was not provided, it is because of his goodness and mercy to them. Now he could have said that he would not provide further explanation to them because some of them were disobedient. Now the fact that the Lord provided further explanation to Israel through Moses is to me a demonstration of his goodness and patience with those in covenant relationship with him. He doesn't have to. He is the God of the universe. So once he tells you something or tells us something, we should trust him and do what he says. He doesn't have to explain anything. But when he does, that again is a demonstration of his grace. Because if you trust him, he can never mislead us. So if we trust him, we do what he says. So if he said do it this way, and then he wants to give us reason, that's part of his goodness. Now the explanation given to Israel is that because of what the Sabbath meant for, uh, for them, the Lord provided them double portion of the strange substance on the sixth day, as we read in the next sentence of Exodus 16 verse 29. Look at it, it says, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. 
Now this is where the third time or the third time that uh, reference is made to this sixth day. The first reference is in connection with the initial instruction regarding how Israel was to deal with this strange uh, substance in verse 5 of Exodus 16 that we have already studied. Look at verse 5 of that Exodus 16. Verse 5 says, On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now the second time this six days mentioned uh, concerns Israel's complaint, I mean compliance to God's instruction through Moses about gathering them the strange substance. As we read, look at verse 22 of the same Exodus 16. Look at verse 22. That's the second time we see this concept of the sixth day. It is on the sixth day they gather twice as much two omers for each person and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. Now so the third time then the sixth reference uh, is made is of course in the passage we are starting now Exodus 16 verse 29 now judging from the first two references to the sixth day it would seem that the explanation Moses provided was a reinforcement of the instruction the Lord had previously given to Israel regarding the gathering of this strange substance. Furthermore, the explanation that we have in verse 29 must have been given the first week the Lord provided Israel this strange substance for food or before the second Sabbath. Now we say this because it is unlikely that after the first Sabbath, when those who were rebellious found out that a strange substance was not provided on the seventh day, that they would venture out the second Sabbath following the giving of this strange substance. We don't think we, we can, they will probably do that. Now what I, I explain is what we will expect for people who are normal in their thinking. You know, they, when they fall Sunday, nothing happened. They didn't find anything. That's the seventh day. They didn't see anything. So you would think they wouldn't go back. The second, uh, the second Sabbath would be the, the second seventh day. Now, so what I said, you wouldn't expect it to happen. I'm talking about people who are normal in their thinking. But I realize, though, uh, that there are some people with distorted thinking. So they could have gone out on the second uh, Sabbath, believing that what happened the first Sabbath must have been an anomaly or what we would say, fluke. And so they wanted to satisfy themselves by going out the next Sabbath to see if the strange substance was available. Of course it wasn't. Now that aside we contend though that it was because of the Lord's goodness that he gave them the explanation for providing this uh, food the double portion that he gave them on the sixth day as in the sentence we're looking at Exodus 16:29, when it says again on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Now, the word bread may be misunderstood as a reference to a bread that's already made from uh, this strange substance, but that's really not the meaning here. The word bread is translated from a Hebrew word that means bread as what Jacob uh, gave to Esau to cause him to sell his birthright. Something that's already finished. So he gave it to his brother who was starving. And so when people are in pain or suffering, they do all kinds of things. 
to get rid of the pain or the suffering. So that word is used really to mean bread. The Hebrew word in Genesis chapter 25 verse 34. Now, of course, uh, the passage I'm going to read should remind us about how dangerous it is to live for the now. Many people live for the now. I mean, what do I get now? They don't live beyond that. And that's what uh, Esau did. You know, he was now. Solve my problem now. Don't worry about what's going on the next day. And so that's why he gave out his birthright. So we read here. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil uh, stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now he was satisfied for the moment but then later on when it comes, he lost it. And he cried and whined and said, if you can get it back, too late. He sold it and so on. Anyway, the Hebrew word, although it's translated bread here, may mean food as any uh, consumable products, including meat, which is in contrast to something drinkable, like a drinkable liquid, as that is the way as a solid food that the word is used to describe the sacrifice that Israel had to make to their God according to Leviticus chapter 21 verse 6. Leviticus Chapter 21, verse 6. It is, They must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God because they present the offering made to the fire by the Lord, the food of their God, they are to be holy. That's qualifying the Levite, the priest. But here though, see that word food is the same Hebrew word lehem, that is translated uh, bread. So that the phrase, the food of their God is literally bread for their God. Now because of the parallelism used in the book of prophet Isaiah, the Hebrew word may then refer to grain for, a bre- uh, for bread, as we may gather from Isaiah chapter 36, verse 17. Isaiah Thirty-six, verse seventeen. It reads, "Until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards." Now, that, the phrase "a land of grain" is parallel to the phrase "a land of bread." Now, since bread is made from grain. Our Hebrew word then translated bread can be understood as grain for bread. So anyhow, in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 29, the word is used in the sense of special grain for food or special grain for bread. Now specifically, the word bread no doubt refers to the strange substance that the Lord provided for Israel's food. Now this is because although the meaning bread is a meaning of the Hebrew word, but what the Lord provided Israel was not a finished product. So bread that results from 
something has already uh, baked is the way we may think about bread for sure. But here we're saying no, it's not because it is the actual raw material that they need to make their food that is given to them. Now the explanation though about the quantity of the strange substance that the Lord provided for Israel on the sixth day in, uh, in the phrase for two days is not merely to cause Israel to remember that the quantity of the food given to them on the sixth day was double the daily portion the Lord provided but that is really intended to remind Israel of both God's knowledge and wisdom. It's not just that he gave them double portion. It is to remind them of something about God. See, God knew exactly what quantity of food each person needs on a given day. Therefore, he provided Israel enough quantity of food for them on the sixth and on the seventh day. In any event, the Lord demonstrated his grace towards his rebellious people in that he not only provided explanation for the absence of the strange, I mean for of the strange substance on the seventh day, but also he provided what they needed on the Sabbath. Because he provided that on the sixth day. Now we have been considering though that the explanation the Lord provided to Israel through Moses regarding the absence of the strange substance on the seventh day is a demonstration of his grace and goodness to Israel. But this demonstration of his goodness did not stop with that. No. The Lord continued to show his goodness to Israel in the instruction of Exodus 16.29 where it says, Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. Now to understand what, why I say that this instruction is a further illustration of the Lord's goodness to Israel, we should remember that the Lord had already conveyed to Israel that they were to rest on the Sabbath, according to the passage we are studying in Exodus 16, look at verse 23. Verse 23 reads, He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So the Lord has already indicated that the Sabbath, or the seventh day here, was to be a day of rest devoted to the Lord. So, Israel should have understood what it means to rest in that it involves not walking on that seventh day. And of course, we're going to be studying uh, by God's grace. Uh, when we get to the, the Ten Commandments, we'll go into detail about this Sabbath thing. However, because of the goodness of the Lord to Israel, he went further to describe what rest meant so that there will be no confusion as to what he meant by having rest. Now, the concept of rest is explained further in the instruction of Exodus 16, 29, when he said, everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. Rest. Now, I know, because of the restlessness, that we experience in this country, most of us don't know how to rest. I mean, if you tell us something, we tell them, stay home all day. They go crazy. Because they're restless. They have to find somewhere to go. Instead of staying home and rest. But God said, stay put. That's what he's really telling them. I'm saying, I don't mean go this way, gather. I say, stay home. That's part of resting here. Anyway, the word stay here is translated from a Hebrew word with uh, a range of meanings related to or derived from the root meaning to sit. So that the word uh, may mean to settle as in the instruction 
of Joseph to his brothers regarding how they should respond to Pharaoh so they will be permitted to live in uh, Goshen as we read in Genesis 46 verse 34. Genesis 46 verse 34 reads, You should answer, Your servant have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of uh, Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So here, a Hebrew word that means to stay is translated settle. Because the word may mean to sit down, but it is used to refer to a judge or a king in that kind of position. Thus, the word is used to indicate the concern of Moses' father-in-law regarding his workload of serving as a judge for Israel by himself, as expressed in Exodus Chapter 18, verse 14. Exodus, chapter 18, verse 14. He reads, When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as George, while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? Now, the word sit, here is a Hebrew word, yeshab. Now, the word though may mean to remain, as it is used to describe the place, the ark of God was kept for three months because uh, of the failure on the part of David and his uh, people from following the instruction of how to handle the uh, ark. And because of that, um, God's judgment came down on one of the priests, and that's for that reason, one of the Levites, for that reason, he wasn't able to take it to Jerusalem the way he, the, the he wanted. So he left it in the house of a man by name Obed Adam. And because of the presence of that ark, God started pouring blessings on him for three months. So that's the word remain is used to describe that ark in First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 14. First Chronicles, chapter 13, verse 14. First Chronicles, chapter 13, verse 14. Here is... The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed him, I mean blessed his household and everything he had. Now that represents the, the, the ark represented the presence of the Lord to Israel. And so because of that this man started prospering in many, many ways. And the people noticed that and said, you need to get it out of from, from that man. Because they did eventually. Anyway, in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 29, the word really, the Hebrew word means to stay, that is to remain in the same place a person lives. Now the fact 
that to stay means to remain in the same place a person lives is further amplified or explained in the next clause of Exodus 16 verse 20. Uh, verse 29 that we're studying. Look at what it says. No one is to go out. <laughs> so that is explaining what it is. No one is to go out. Now a more literal translation is let no one go from his place. That's the way the Hebrew literally reads. Let no one go from his place. Now this phrase, his place, in the literal translation, makes clear then that people were to remain in their tents in the sense of avoiding any kind of work since the people still had to relieve themselves outside the camp on the seventh day. They still have to do that. But he just wanted them to stay. Don't go anywhere else. You don't have to go relieve yourself outside the camp. Stay in your house. I'm just crazy about it. So we are saying that the instruction not to go out there should not be interpreted uh, uh, as that the people could not leave their tents to relieve themselves outside of the camp. But the concern here is that of not walking on the seventh day. That's the more important thing here. Now the expression go out, of course, is translated from a Hebrew word that has a range of meaning that is concerned with the movement. And so it may mean to go out as in the instruction of the Lord to Israel not to venture out during the uh, night of the Passover uh, feast as we read in Exodus chapter 12 verse 22. Exodus Exodus 22 verse, I mean chapter 12 verse 22. It is, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. Now the Hebrew word may mean to uh, leave, to depart. But in our passage of Exodus 16, 29, the word means to leave, that is to go out. So thus the members of the Israel community were not to leave their various tents in Israel's camp, but to stay put on the seventh day. Again, we've already uh, indicated that that does not mean that they could not go outside the camp to relieve themselves, but that they should not leave their tents to do any kind of work, the work of gathering that strange substance. Hence, what it means to rest them on the Sabbath, while in the camp of Israel, during the Exodus, is defined by not moving from one tent to another, or going out where the Lord rains down that strange substance. They shouldn't go there. They just stay home because if they have to go relieve themselves, they have to do so outside the camp because that was the instruction given to them. So Israel, no doubt, understood then the explanation of what it means to rest on the seventh day since it is then reported that they complied with the Lord's instruction as we read in Exodus 16 verse 30. Look at verse 30. It says, So the people rested on the seventh day. Now they rested on the seventh day. It is to their benefit that they rested on the seventh day or on the Sabbath. In effect, contrary to the suffering from disobedience, the Israelites were blessed with refreshing of their bodies by resting on the seventh day as the Lord instructed them. They obeyed and they, they were refreshed. So that God who knows the body, who created the body, 
he also knew what impact sin will have on our bodies. Now, without sin, we probably can just go on like, like a, in a clock. But because of sin, sin has impact on our bodies. So, in his goodness, God showed his grace to Israel and said, you struggle on six days. But this seventh day, stay home. The rest and rest. Of course, part of it, is, as it becomes elaborated, is rest there means really part of worship and worship and worship. Anyway, let me end by reminding you of the lesson that we have studied though. And uh, it is that disobedience to God's word will never yield the result desired by one who disobeys. Israel disobeyed. Uh, those were of them who wanted to get some uh, food. They disobeyed and went out and they found nothing. So when you disobey, whatever thing that you're looking for, you're not going to find it. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us in the things that we have studied so that we will know how gracious you are when you give us instruction that it is to benefit us and for your glory. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.